Okay, good afternoon and welcome to today's class. Today is the last two of the Torah readings of the Book of Numbers, which is Matos Amase, which that also concludes the Jewish people's travels in the desert. Next week when we begin the Book of Deuteronomy, there is the, we begin the uh, Ready Moshe telling his last will and testament to the Jewish people. So today is what we conclude, so to speak, the journeys of the Jewish people, and that's what we'll discuss. How does anybody start their day? The average person starts their day, what's the first thing they do? They go to the mail, take out the newspaper, get ready a nice hot brew cup of coffee, or in the summer they'll have their ice brew or their cold brew, look through the opening pages of the newspaper if they own some stocks to see what they lost, what they gained, if they follow the sports to see who won or lost, what the weather's not going to be or going to be, the storms, the news, the gossip, whatever it may be to catch up on their morning news. And uh, finally, after all said and done, they can go into their day and take on the rest of the day. However, there's another theory of how to start your day. And a theory that's brought down, probably very well known by the uh, very famous writer known as Mark Twain. And Mark Twain said as follows, if you are told that you have to eat a frog every single morning, or every single day, when would you do it? You would probably do it the first thing in the morning. If you would have to eat two frogs, one a bigger one and one a small one, you're generally gonna take the bigger one, get it done and over with, and like this, let your day move on. So the logic is that I take the thing that's most difficult for me to do, let me get it out of the way, and like this, the rest of the day might get smooth. While Judaism, of course, doesn't tell us to eat frogs, however, but the concept of taking on the first difficult task in the day is something which is not only uh, found in Judaism, but is something that we're going to talk about today as well. You know, there's many times that there are many things that we have to do. And usually the task that is most important for you to do, you keep on delaying and pushing it off and hoping that somehow it will get done. And therefore, you check your email, you make your phone call, you check the newspaper, you'll do everything else you need to do besides that thing because for some reason you don't want to do it. And what is it? It's either something that's very difficult to do or something very easy to do. Something that's very easy to do, you say, hey, no big deal, I'll do it later. Or you say, you know, once I'm going to have to do that, what is that going to mean? If I do that thing and I'll actually be successful in it, then automatically I'll mean I'll have to do more. So I'd rather delay it. Delay it as much as I can like this, I don't have to get to step two. Or, if it's something too difficult, what we do is, we use a tactic to say, oh, you know what, I don't want to deal with it, I'll do it till tomorrow, I'll do it when I have time. All be able to avoid doing what we need to do. The bottom line is, whether you start your day reading your newspaper and brewing your coffee, or whether you start your day taking on the difficult task, at the end of the day is, we always have to look at and ask ourselves, what was, before we go to sleep, what do I need to do tomorrow? What's on my goals? What's my list? What kind of appointments? What kind of missions? What kind of things do I need to do for the next day? And generally, we're going to find that the most difficult things we're going to try to push off and not do as soon as we need. And over here we have this theory that Mark Twain brings about and talks about and discusses, which is take on the most difficult task first. Like this, the rest of the day will go easy. Hasidism and Judaism expresses a similar value, and probably Mark Twain took it from his studying of Judaism where he came about this idea. 
And the concept is that every single day, but in a different, in a, oops, in a different method and a different discussion, and Judaism looks at it this way, that every single day we have to create a better version of ourselves. Every single day we are obligated that we wake up in the morning, we have to create a better version of who we are the day before. In the book of Job, it talks about it. The person was created to toil, to work. The same idea as the Talmud tells us in the tractate of Megillah. If a person tells you, I've worked hard and I've not succeeded, don't believe him. Because we know that a person's work automatically will make, they will bring to fruition and bring about. As our sages tell us, Chazakad is a guarantee that any time we invest energy in something and we do something properly and right, we're going to see fruits of our labor. Therefore, as we know, God made it within the human nature of the person that we always look to be able to be victorious. A person doesn't want to be sit back and feel like a loser. A person always wants to feel like a winner, and we always strive to be show victory, that we are the ones that won, that we are the ones that are able to accomplish, that we are able to overcome whatever it may be at the time. There's a story told of the Tzemach Tzedek. The Tzemach Tzedek was the third Chabad Rebbe, who had a very close relationship with his father, his grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe. He was an orphan. The third Chabad Rebbe was an orphan at nine years old. His mother, Rebbe Tzemach who is the daughter of the Alter Rebbe, passed away. And in the Hasidic stories that is told how she gave her life for her father when her father's life was either threatened because of a terrible decree from above because of his teachings of Hasidism. So therefore, it was either that he was going to go to prison or die, and she gave her life, and she died, and therefore he felt the responsibility that he basically brought up his, this child under his wings. When the third Chabad Rebbe became Rebbe, that means after the first Chabad Rebbe passed, and his son-in-law passed, and then his son-in-law then became again his son, and his son-in-law then became Rebbe, he had a thing that every single morning he would study Hasidism and meditate before davening, and any difficult question that he had at the time, he would have certain experience, the divine intuition of his grandfather would come to him and help him work his way through whatever challenge he had at the time, that blessing of intuition that he had from his grandfather. One morning, he puts on his talisman film and he's met in that meditative mode, and it's not working, it's not clicking, he's not connecting. And he feels, what happened to him? And all of a sudden, he remembers that on his way to shul, because he was so in a rush to be able to come down and to get ready for proper prayer and so on, there was a fellow that stopped him on the way and asked him for a loan in his business, going on the way to the market. The Tzemach Tzedek in a rush said, well, I'm busy, I have to go davening. He said, you know, come to me after davening, I'll give you the loan. He didn't push the guy aside, he said, just come to me after davening. He realized that that guy has to go to the market, he can't wait until after davening. <laughs> So therefore what he did was he went yeah. quickly, took off his talus and fillin, went outside to the marketplace looking for that fellow that went to ask him for a loan, found him, gave him the loan, came back into the shul, put on his talus and fillin, and then he had the proper meditative quality that he was then able to have his answers, yeah. and he had the answers that his grandfather gave him. What does this mean? What does this tell us? And in order to understand this whole concept of starting off with the most difficult concept, or becoming every single day a better version of ourselves brings us to this week's Torah reading. As we mentioned, this week's Torah reading is double Torah reading. The first Torah reading tells us about laws, annulling the vows, and the waging the war of the Midianites. But then it comes to the second Torah reading, which is the bulk of the Torah reading this week. And the second Torah reading begins with telling us the travels of the Jewish people. 42 destinations that the Jewish people traveled from when they left out of Egypt 
until they came to the Jordan, into the Jordan River, about to cross over into the land of Israel. And every single time it says, and they traveled and they rested. They traveled and they rested. What's the Torah telling us this for? Why does the Torah have to enumerate these 42 travels? First of all, if you look back from the book of Exodus, you'll notice the 42 travels. What's the need to enumerate it again? And to tell us each one of them, just to put things in perspective here, let's take the entire Torah. In the entire five books of Moses, in the entire Torah, what would you say is probably the most monumental, important verses that are mentioned in the Torah? One would say the creation of the universe probably is pretty important, correct? How many verses do you think the Torah takes to explain and to talk about and describe the uh, creation? 31 verses. What about a second, probably most important thing in the Torah? Is the Ten Commandments. How many verses do you think explain the Ten Commandments? 14 verses. Do you know how many verses talk about the travels of the Jewish people from when they left Egypt, just telling us the destinations that they went to? 50 verses. That means there are more verses talking about travel maps, destinations, telling us where they went, more than the Ten Commandments, more than the creation of the universe. Why is that so important? That the Torah takes 50 verses to talk about it. This question becomes even stronger by one of the great commentators on the Torah, by the name of Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Avram Saba, who is a very well-known uh, Spanish or Italian uh, Kabbalist, who says this as follows. He says, one of the greatest things in the Torah, that questions that one can ask, is what is the Torah enumerating these 42 travels? Is the Torah trying to go into nostalgia? Is the Torah trying to tell us where they went from Egypt? In fact, the Torah uses the terminology, these are the travels of the Jewish people. It should say these are the stops that the Jewish people had. <laughs> travels is what you do in between. Stops is what you do in those places. So when the Torah says the Jews traveled 42 travels, they had 42 stops, not 42 travels. The Al-Sheikh, which is another commentator on the Torah, says, why does he mention it? Why does he mention the travels? He just sort of started where they, in fact, when you talk about a person, when they talk about traveling, what does traveling mean? Traveling means I leave this place and I go someplace else. When you say I went to Florida, you don't say I left New York. No, you say I didn't come to Florida. Every person talks about where they're going to, not necessarily where they left. So why does it enumerate these are the 42 places they left from, which is the 42 <laughs> places where they came to? Like, what's the point of it? And not only that, if you look at it in general, in the Torah, when the Torah talks about leaving places, so the Torah talks about, for example, Joseph, where he left the place. In most cases, it says how they were like forced to leave from a certain situation, so therefore they left that area. So again, what is the point of here? You know, in general, also, when a person talks about leaving places and going to places, it's also a matter of perspective. You know, if a person says, if you were forced to leave someplace, what are you going to look forward to? You know, there's two places, two ways. You know, you have your kids in the car, and you're going on a trip. Mm. One kid asks, how long we go did we leave? And one kid may ask, and how long are we going to get there? What's the difference? One is longing for home, and one is longing to get to where they are. So what is it? When we talk about travels, it's usually a person is longing to where to get to. Like a guy says, I left Russia and stayed in Europe for 40 years until he came to Israel. Does he say, I was for 40 years living in, in, in Egypt? What's going on? What, what, what's he telling us here? How, 40 years that you left Russia? No, you made stops along the way. That's where you live. You're still not leaving 
It says, these are the 42 stops that the Jewish people left Egypt. No, the first stop they left Egypt. After the first stop, they were no longer in Egypt. They were already moving on. So why does the Torah use the terminology, again, in this week's Torah reading, these are the 42 travels that the Jewish people left from Egypt. They know one travel was from Egypt. The other 41 was from the place that they left after that. And why is it called 42 travels, not 42 stops? Maimonides, and the guide for, for the perplexed, Maimonides says as follows. He says, many times people encounter miracles throughout their life. And it is very easy for them to forget what the miracle really did to them. And the only way that you can remember the miracles is if you point and say, remember that spot? Remember that spot? Remember that spot? Remember what happened to all those locations? And all of a sudden you start saying, yeah, it wasn't so simple that I got from point A to point B. And you start remembering all the events that happened to you at those locations. The same idea over here, the Torah is reminding the Jewish people about the different places that they traveled, telling them that there were miracles in every single one of those locations that they should remember what they were. And the purpose of it was to remember those locations, those miracles that happened. But that only makes our question stronger. Then why would the Torah say those were the 42 travels of the Jewish people? The Torah should say those were the 42 stops to remember the miracles that happened at those locations. Rashi, which is one of the four most simplest commentators, commentators on the Torah, tries to answer the second question by telling us that if you look at the detail of the travels, there are 42 travels. Now, 42 travels that the Jewish people were decreed. Why were the Jewish people traveling in the desert for 40 years to begin with? Because if you recall, there was a sin of the spies. The spies came back to the Jewish people complaining and saying the land of Israel wasn't good. And because of that, God told them that you will now wander in the desert for 40 years. So over here, Rashi comes along and Rashi says, look at this. There were 42 travels, right? What does it mean 42 travels? If you split the 42 travels up, you'll notice that 14 of the travels were in the first year before the sin of the spies. Then you have 18 of the travels were the last year of the Jewish people. That means after Aaron died, just on their entrance into the land of Israel. Comes out that in the 40 years, in the 38 years that they were traveling in the desert, that they were punished, that they have to travel for, how many times did they travel? 20 years, uh, 20 times, twice a year. Not so bad. Over here, what Rashi is coming to tell us, the Torah is telling us that even though the Jewish people were decreed that they should be punished and travel around and wander in the desert for 40 years, the wandering wasn't that bad. It was twice a year that, the, if you put it on average, twice a year they had to move. Even though at times it was they never moved even for 10 years, but there was Twice a year, if you want to split it up, there was 20 times over 40 years they traveled, which is not that bad in relationship to the entire picture, if you want to call it. So this is what the Torah is referring to in that case. But Rashi himself says, still in all, you know, people live in a house for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, traveling every 40, 20 times in 40 years, it's still a lot, twice a year to move locations. Yes, I understand they were pitching tents and it wasn't like they had to move, get the whole moving truck and their whole storage and, and everything else, but at the end of the day, it's still wandering. You can't minimize the fact that you're wandering around twice a year if you gotta move around. In 20, year, 20 years, 20 times moving in 40 years is pretty, uh, is pretty, it's pretty much moving as well. And actually, Nachmanides, really says 
that if you look in the Torah reading, in this week's Torah reading, it says that Moses wrote their happenings according to God. Meaning that we really don't, don't understand why they have to travel that much. And we really don't understand why they had to, why the Torah had to write it down. We don't know why Moshe wrote it down. But it was because God told Moses to document it. That's why it's there. That's what Menachemanani says. Still in all, of course, we always look to prime and dig a little deeper and to get to the bottom of it. And with our, with our help from the Hasidic masters, we are able to come to a, be a better understanding, which is as follows. And if with prefacing an interesting foundation, fundamental reason in this, in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidism, he had two children, Tzvi and Adel. His daughter Adel had three children. One of them was Ramosha Chaim, a of Sadlikov, Reboruch Mezhubush, and Fega, who was later became, who was the mother of the Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, well known. And his grandson, the Degel Machana Ephraim, as he's known for his book, says the following explanation. And he says as follows. He says, I heard in the name of my grandfather, the Baal Shem Tov, that the 42 travels that the Jewish people had in the time of the desert are referring to the 42 travels that every single person has from the time they're born till the day they die. Yeah. What does this mean? The Baal Shem Tov explains and the, his grandson expands on it. From the moment that a person is born, from the moment that a child comes into this world, it's considered the exodus of Egypt. They leave the limitations. They leave that confine that they were locked into Egypt. And then from that very moment, until they come to the time that, they come, that their soul returns to heaven, every single part of their life is another journey. And every single part of their life comes through different times. And if you look in the Torah reading, the Torah mentions, they rested in a place called Mara, which is bitter. And then they they went to Mara and they came to Miska, which is a place which is called sweet. Every single person in this life has times which are bitter and times that are sweet. Has times which they are able to control their inkling and times which we fall prey to our inclination. We have times where we're successful, times that were sad, times that were happy, times of jubilation. We all go through different periods in life, the 42 travels. This traveling of the Jewish people is the travel of every single one of us. What is the Torah telling us here? This lesson, these travels that Moshe documents, these 42 travels, is so much deeper than just a travel and a destination or nostalgia of where the Jewish people went to. Rabbi Ashkenazi, who is one of the authors of this uh, class, says a story about growing up as a child in Kfar Chabad. His older brother, uh, his older brother had a terrible allergy, which caused him to have a growth in his mouth, which didn't allow him to eat or enjoy his food. And he was a little kid. Imagine with having that growth and that allergy that would react to everything that he would eat. He was losing weight, he wasn't able to eat, they were barely able to feed him with a straw. And as time went on, this was becoming worse and worse, doctors, medications, nothing was helping. His mother had to quit his job to be able to deal with his older brother, and they didn't know what to do. His grandfather, Rabbi Moshe Ashkenazi, was going to 
Crown Heights, going to Brooklyn for a holiday at the time. And he went into the Rebbe to ask the Rebbe a blessing for his grandson and for his mother, who has been totally quit her job just to take care of her son and to be able to nurse him back to life and give him something, whatever it may be. When he told the Rebbe about the situation that's happening, the Rebbe looked at him and said, you know, that right now there's a conference that they are preparing for the women in Israel. And maybe she can be involved in organizing the conference and encouraging women to light Shabbat candles. And this will be another cause to make this child feel better. He comes back home, he tells his daughter-in-law what the Rebbe said, and she's thinking to herself, I quit my job to deal with my child. How can I go and take on another obligation? But the Rebbe says, we do. And she went and she sat and became part of the board of the conference of organizing this woman conference. She was the MC, and they were part of encouraging women to go out there and get other women to light Shabbat candles and everything else. As she took care of the conference and she was home, uh, out of the house taking care of the conference, the child's growth in his mouth disappeared. He became healthy, back to normal, what medication couldn't do, what doctors couldn't help. All of a sudden, at the beginning of the month of Adar, the month of happiness and blessing, he was back to himself and she was able to go back to work as a teacher in the Kfar Chabad. Many times we feel wiped out. We feel empty, lack of energy. We lost it all. What's going to help me? I feel despondent. I feel isolated, empty, depressed. What's going to give me that new energy of life? This week's parasha comes along and tells us there are 42 travels that the Jewish people did. They finished one travel, it may have been a bitter one. They started a new travel. What do you think? You think you have no desire to do something? You know what? Take a small project. Finish that small project. Be proud of that project you've accomplished. That small victory lap will get you and build momentum to get you going even more and to be able to do even greater. And you'll be able to see, look, I have a future. I can accomplish more. I can do more. Think about it. In the last three, Chumashi, we had the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers. What is it finished with? What is the book of Numbers, not only the book of Numbers, what is the entire Torah until Torah begins with Moshe's last rule and testament, which is the fifth book? But what is the last Torah reading that talks about the Jewish people as a nation of their travels? It tells us about the 42 travels of the Jewish people. But if you look at the 42 travels of the Jewish people, they had so many ups and downs. They come out of Egypt as believers, and all of a sudden, boom, they have the sin of the golden calf. They get out of the sin of the golden calf, they have to fight Amalek. They have to fight Amalek, then they're complaining about the mother, they're complaining about the mother and the water. They have so many ups and downs and successes and failures that all of a sudden you can think, what kind of people are these? Are these people ever going to make it? But what do you finish with? You come to the end and they say, here they are. They're on the Jordan River, ready to conquer the land of Israel. This is what made them a nation. What made them a nation was the 42 travels, the ups and downs that they had in life, is what shaped them to who they are. It didn't just happen out of a vacuum. It didn't just happen on its own. It's because they had the bitter, they had the sweet, they had the inclinations, they had the desires, they had the challenges, is what made them greater people. Life is about creating a better life. 
Life is that God created the world that we should be able to infuse it with holiness. God didn't make a perfect world because He wants us to make it perfect. He wants us to create that perfection, that good that's not there. Look at the entire Torah reading. Look from the beginning of the time, the beginning of Genesis. Think about it. God creates a world. The first people in the human race, Adam and Eve, what's the first thing they do within three hours of creation? They sin. God could have made it differently. God could have said, okay, this is a mess up. Let's start again. And let's try to make people perfect. But what did he do? No, he said, no, I want the world imperfect. Yeah, this is perfect. That means because they sinned, now, yes, now they can fix. Now they can create. God created the human being to be partners with God. Therefore, we were given freedom of choice. We're not robots. Because if we were robots, then we wouldn't be able to create. The only person that can create, a robot doesn't create, a robot puts things together. But who creates the human mind, the human body, the human individual? With his creativity comes about and his partners in God's creation creating something new, creating a better life, making something better, taking nothing and making something out of it. This is all planned. Look at, to take for example, just in history, and you see how the human being, as an individual, evolved and became mature over time and perfected themselves. Start with the first couple, if you want to call it. The first two people, you talk about the relationship, the family dynamic as it continued to evolve in the Torah. The first one in the Torah is a family dynamic, Cain and Abel. They had a hard time getting along. Not only did they not get along, I didn't, Cain didn't like the sacrifice that Abel brought. What did he do? Kill him. That's it. End of discussion. Party over. Okay, then we come to Yishmael and Yitzchak. Yishmael and Yitzchak also didn't get along. Jacob and Esau also didn't get along. Joseph and his brothers also didn't get along. Menashe and Ephraim also had differences. Moshe and Aaron also had differences. But look how all these different couples, different family dynamic, evolved and became better over time. Let's start. Cain and Abel, they don't get along. What do they do? They kill each other, literally. <laughs> Isaac and Ishmael, okay, they don't kill each other now. They just part ways. Isaac stays in the land of Israel. Ishmael goes and is expelled from the home. <laughs> okay, they're not killing each other, but they can't live with each other. Then we come to the next one, Jacob and Esau, again. They don't get along, they feel like they're cheating each other, they have to separate, but then they come back. So it's not like they separate forever, they gotta take some time apart, but then eventually they come back. Joseph and his brothers, again, they don't get along, they separate, but not only do they come back together, they come back together and Joseph supports the people who chased them away. Okay, so we already see a maturity level there. Minash and Ephraim, Joseph's sons. Jacob puts his right hand over the younger son and he shows favoritism, so to speak, to one over the other. He doesn't complain. He accepts it. Not only is he not jealous, not only do they not have to separate, not only are they not killing each other, they're tolerating each other. They're accepting of one another. And then you come to the highest level. Moses and Aaron. Moses says, who's his translator? Who's his assistant? His older brother. So not only is his older brother not fighting with him, not only is he not expelling him, not only is he not killing him, but he's becoming an assistant to the younger brother. So you see how the Torah shows us that from the creation of man, 
we have the ability to not only evolve, not only to mature, but to create and become better. From the beginning of time of Cain and Abel all the way through to Moses and Aaron. Now we can understand when we talk about life. But not only life, but think about this. Many people, what do you call a day? Every person has another definition of what they call a day. In some religions, a day is from sunrise to sunset. In America and in most places, in most countries, a day begins at 12 o'clock midnight till the next day, 12 o'clock midnight. Right? And it makes sense. It starts at 12, ends at 12. Starts at sunrise, finishes at sunset. But Judaism has another way of looking at a day. Judaism looks at a day not from the night before begins the day. When does Shabbat start? Friday night. When does the holiday start? The night before. When does the Jewish birthday start? The night before. That means the eve of the night before starts the day. What kind of business is this? Why the night before? When everybody's going to, to sleep, when, when everybody's going to sleep, that's when you start your day. Well, what, how does that work out? Now, of course, we better make it up. God did it from the first day of creation. God, in the beginning of creation, in the book of Genesis, it says, And it was evening and then morning. Why did God create the world first darkness, then light? First, the day should start from evening and then light. And the commentator says as follows. Why did God start the day? Meaning, why does God say that the morning is already in the middle of the day? When the time, and you're starting the day when people are going to sleep. And the Hasidism explains that the way God created the world hints on how the world is going to exist. Meaning, that God did not create a world that's light and perfect and beautiful. In fact, a person who thinks that the world is light and beautiful is making a mistake. In fact, the world was created dark. For what purpose? That we should make it light. That if you think that the way you're old is going to suddenly start off and it's going to be bliss, beautiful, and wonderful, no, that's not the way it works. you got to work hard. you got to work through all those things. And then you see light. This is what it tells us. That we got to work through the darkness, and only once you work through the darkness do you really appreciate the light. After you see the dark of the night. That's why what is the beginning of the day? The dark. The beginning is where the stuff, where they're going to get stuff. But then you know there's light at the end. And only once you work through the darkness do you truly come to appreciate the light in the morning. And that's how the day starts. This is the message of the coming of Moshiach as well. The message of as well of this week's Torah reading of Parshish Masih. God is telling us, you want to be able to bring about the coming of Moshiach. You want to be able to change the world. You got to recognize that it's by making those small victories. Every single day transforming the world, making it from a dark world to a light world, in creating and bringing holiness into the world, we're going to ultimately achieve that goal. But here's the key. To remember that until we actually come to the promised land, you haven't left Egypt. And this is why it tells us these are the travels of the Jewish people. That from when they left Egypt. Even though you say one second, the first travel, we already left Egypt. No. Because as long as you're still traveling, as long as you're still breaking through the darkness, it's all still from the first limitation, from the first confine. That means as the person gra travels and as the person go grows, he recognizes 
that I'm in a limitation, I'm limited, and therefore he has to continue to grow. If a person says, no, I'm fine, by step 30 he says, okay, I'm good. Where are you then? He's still back in Egypt. Because the moment you become satisfied and satiated with your accomplishment, that means you haven't left Egypt yet. Because every single day, we have to recognize that we can go and grow and grow and move out of our limitations and move out of our confines and our comforts where we were before today. Every single day, we have to be able to move on and to be able to get and grow stronger. This is, you know, you always talk about there are people that are day people and night people. Some people work better by day, some people work better by night. And sometimes the people that work better by day cannot figure out why the people work better by night and work better <laughs> vice versa. And the worst thing is if you have a marriage that the, the guys are uh, uh, day work, uh, the other ones are night work, and they never see eye to eye. Each guy thinks the other one's a laziness, and that's all. But the bottom line is each one has the strength to be able to overcome and challenge and recognize how to overcome it. And over here is what the Torah is. We want to say maybe God was a night, a night person. You know, he started off as a night. But at the end of the day, the purpose is that we have to take the night and recognize that we have to leave our personal confines. We have to walk beyond our confines. And therefore, it doesn't say these are the stops of the Jewish people. Because life is a journey. And the moment we think that we've stopped the journey, that it's a stop, then it's the stop's over. Then you can already say it's 120 and you're under, over the hill. But the point is that life is a journey, and not only is life a journey, but it's always a journey from the land of Egypt. We're always leaving our limitations. Egypt in Hebrew is the word mitzarim, which means limitations. And the more we recognize that we need to leave our limitations, the more we recognize that we, are, we were, so to speak, until now in the limit. And now we got to break through, make a new victory, create a new uh, a mission, a new level to overcome. Don't be satisfied with what you've accomplished yesterday. Every day, make yourself better the following day. We are then able to recognize the blessings that the Torah gives us. The blessings that the Torah gives us is that when we work hard, you ultimately will see those blessings. The Talmud says an interesting thing. The Talmud says, what's the difference between a Oved Elohim, a person who serves God and a person who doesn't serve God? And it's what in Tanya, the Talmud continues to say, a person who serves God is a person who studies his Talmud, who studies a hundred times. A person who serves God properly is a person who studies a hundred and one times. Just one time more, and you consider a guy that serves God. Why that one time? And the Talmud gives the following analogy. You ever go into a yellow cap? I mean, the Talmud says, the yellow cap talks about donkey, but the same idea. A yellow cap has its, the same, it has its perimeter where it goes. It goes in the city into certain blocks. You want it to go outside, one block outside, the price doubles. I only go one block outside the perimeter because I only go here. You want me to go outside, even if it's only one block, automatically it's a new, it's a new tier. The same idea is also. A person who studies a hundred times, that's what he's used to. So what's the big deal? That's not called serving God. That's who you are. You truly want to serve God. You got to go beyond yourself. One time beyond yourself. Today it's a 101. And once you became used to 101, you got to do 102. And once you do 102, you got to do 103. Every day you got to push yourself. Just like an exercise, you work out. Today you did 20 push-ups, tomorrow you can't do 20 push-ups already. Tomorrow you got to do 25, and the next day 30. Every day you got to push yourself, because that's the way you become stronger. The same idea is also in our victories in life. The way we become stronger is by every single day creating a new atmosphere, a new relationship, a better self of who you are. They give a little example. Same ideas when it comes to education. It says, what's the worst thing that parents can do for their children? 
is not the man from the many things. Just to say you're great, you're wonderful, you're the best, you're the perfect, you're just <laughs> wonderful who you are. Don't worry about anything. They give this example. I mean, this is, goes a little bit to an extreme about this uh, Asian woman who gave this um, study in Yale. And they said they found that the Asians are on the highest tier of mathematics, science, physics. And you're talking about very high. They found that students in Shanghai in reading they are in the first place where Americans are 17, Israel is 37. When it comes to mathematics, they're in the top. America's 31, Israel's 42. Science, they're the top. America's 23, they're 42, Israel's 42. And then what is it that these Asian parents, the Chinese, they're so, they're so highly educated and motivated, and what it is? And they explain, and this Chinese professor says, because you see, the way it works in China, the mentality is that there's no such thing, you like it, you don't like it. You're getting 100 on the test, whether you like it or not. There was this Chinese parent who wanted a force who decided that her child should study piano, to learn how to play the piano, but the child wasn't interested. She took all the dolls and said, I'll donate it to the orphanage if you don't uh, play the piano. The child was left with no option. The child became excellent at the piano. They forced them, so to speak. Yeah. Now, of course, that's an extreme, and that's not the way of Judaism. But the concept is that we have to demand, the same way we demand from ourselves, we have to demand from our children that they have to do better. It doesn't have to be 100, but they have to be the best who they are. There's a story told about a student in once in a yeshiva in uh, Israel. It's called the yeshiva Kol Torah. And uh, the student was one day very despondent and very depressed. And one of his friends went over to him and asked him, what's going on? Why are you so obsessed? He says, listen here, I've been studying, working really hard, and I'm not going to make it to be the greatest scholar. I just, I don't have it. I can't do it. And meanwhile, the guy right next to me walks in the last day, studies, he blows everything within one day, boom, that's it. He's going to make it. He's going to be the great scholar. He's going to be the big guy of the generation. And he was very depressed about it. So his friend, who had some relationship with Chabad, said, you know what, why don't you write your dilemma to the Rebbe? And the Rebbe responded to this individual very interestingly. The Rebbe told him as follows, there is no mitzvah in the Torah for you to be the greatest scholar in the world. But there is a mitzvah for you to be the greatest who you can be in the world. And that's where you have to do Every single one of us, the Torah wants us to be the best person we can be. And if you were yesterday the best person we can be, tomorrow we even have to be better. And every single day we have to create a better version of ourselves. Every single day we have to work on ourselves. We have to look dig deep within ourselves. And if we haven't become a better person than we were the day before, then we're not only are we not excelling, but we're degrading and we're falling back into an abyss of Egypt. A story is told about a fellow by the name of Gimpel Ormland. He was a wealthy individual from, the, uh, from uh, Miami, Florida, who had some relationship with Chabad. His first Simchastorah, he came to uh, Crown Heights, in the hush and the craziness of everything, they used to auction, and they do many shuls, mitzvahs and dedications, you know, to be able to fundraise, and some chastor the different mitzvahs. And there was one mitzvah over there that they were dedic that they were auctioning off, and he was a pretty well-to-do individual, and he offered him a bit a thousand dollars to buy that mitzvah. The rabbi turned to him, and the rabbi told him, five thousand dollars, and you'll make back triple the amount. Well, he had no choice. He was standing in front of everybody. He was thinking, he said, I haven't got the $5,000. This was going back then. His goal to do it, it was. The liquid $5,000 wasn't that easy for him to come by. 
But he's hoping, okay, listen, there's promise tripled at the mount. I'll go for it. <laughs> so he goes for it. Like, one month goes by. He's waiting for this miracle to triple the amount. It's not coming in. Two months, three months, four months. Finally, 12 months. He's right, Rosh Hashanah, at the end of the year. All of a sudden, somebody offers to buy a building that he had next door for $15,000. He realized the profit came in. He did the deal. He made triple the amount. Comes that year, of course. What does he say? One second. Last year worked well for me. I'm going this year again, Simchastor. <laughs> he comes to Chastorah this year and he's waiting to bid so he should be able to make triple the amount again. And he's willing to put up the price, whatever it may be. And he puts up and he says, and they offer him, okay, are you going to buy it? He says, yes, I'm buying it for whatever price the Rebbe says. Okay. They give it to him. He comes in after some Chastorah and he says, and he asks the Rebbe, no, what should I write out the check for? Tell me how much I should write it out. I know I'm getting triple the amount. Tell me what. <laughs> the Rebbe tells him $125, $126. Says, well, last year you wanted $5,000. <laughs> this year you want only $126. I don't understand. The Rebbe looks at him and says, you think I need your money? I don't need your money. I wanted that you should go beyond your means. Last year you went beyond your means. You already did it. Now you can already give for the sake of heaven. Give for the right the same ideas over here. Let's go back to the beginning. Why did the Jewish people, were they told these are the travels of the Jewish people, telling us that every single day in our life we need to travel. Every single day in our life we are going to encounter and throughout our life we can travel the bitterness and the sweetness and the, all the different challenges that the Jewish people have then. We encounter in our life as well. The question is only what do we do because of those challenges? Are they going to make us travel and move on to the next step and to be able to become a strong, virtuous people like the Jewish people that are ready to conquer the land of Israel? Or are we going to fall prey to those challenges, fall into abyss, to the bitterness and to the challenges and become despondent because of it? Over here the Torah comes along and Moshe says, I'm by the mouth of God I write down these travels. Meaning that God is telling every single one of us, we can make it. Every single day we can become a better version of ourselves than we were the day before. And how do you do it? Start off your day with a small victory. Instead of small, starting off your day in relaxation and thinking, okay, when I get to it in the delay mode. Start off your day conquering it. What can I do today? That's why the first thing a person, a Jewish person does when he wakes up is to daven, to pray. Why? Because I conquer my evil inclination, a small little victory. But I was able to overcome it. Instead of checking the morning news, I did my, I did my prayers. After I do my prayers, I can then move on to the next victory. And every single part of our day, we will see we'll be able to come to small victories in life. So let's take on the day. Let's make ourselves a better version of ourselves. Let uh, create small victories. And ultimately, they will lead to big and greater victories as well.